Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, Cleveland, and welcome back to another edition of the Dogland Podcast brought to you by Dogs by Nature, SB Nation, and Vox Media. I am your host, Jackson McCurry. Got Anthony Jokey rolling with me on this episode as well. Uh, but we do have a special guest on this episode. Uh, he's a longtime friend, longtime guest of the podcast, and uh, we're happy to get him because he's 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 a generally busy man. I mean, if you you follow his podcast, you follow his work over at the OBR, uh, you know how busy he is. But we're thankful for the time he has with us tonight. It is Jake Burns of the OBR and the OBR Film Breakdown. Jake, how are you doing, my friend? Guys, I'm good. Thanks for the intro, man. I'm I'm busy, not always because of football. It's the it's the two children thing that keep me uh, the most busy these days. But uh. But yeah, it's uh, it's a grind, right? Everyday stuff and keeping up with this team who seems to never, never make life very boring, do they? No, they really don't. And it's like right before we started recording, Mary Kay drops a bomb with uh, some names tied to the Browns that they're going to pursue in free agency, which I think we'll hit at the end of this episode. But yeah, the Browns, it's never a dull moment with this franchise like even if they're not generating stuff, the fan base is generating stuff to talk about. And uh, this offseason has been no exception to that. So, I mean, yeah, it's a crazy time. I know you got you got the two little ones to go along with your busy uh, work life. So, I mean, it's crazy. We're just thankful for the time you're giving us tonight uh, for the podcast. Um, so, Jake, last week, the Browns announced Alex Van Pelt's getting back to the QB coach role. I know you and I talked uh, privately saying that we, we wanted a new voice in that room to help elevate the offense, evolve the offense. They do bring in Bill Musgrave. And I do think this is interesting. There is the connection with Kevin Stefanski. Um, he's been the offensive coordinator in Cal the last couple of years. Like what's your thoughts on that hire? I know you touched on it on the podcast, but what do you think Musgrave will ultimately bring to the Browns offense and what he can help Stefanski with? Well, it's going to be hard to quantify, right? Like, I think the thing I think that is important to to reiterate about Alex Van Pelt is like he's he's pretty much a glorified quarterback coach. Like, he's an OC by title, but like he's never really been an OC outside of a very short window in Buffalo when emergency hit. And like, he's just been a quarterback coach wherever he's been. So he's not calling plays here. He's been in every. He's always in the quarterback meetings. He's always involved in that. And like, has a title, but. I think as you guys would agree, uh, again, I'm kind of echoing some things I've already kind of put out there publicly, but if he was in demand and the Browns were jobbing him over, he would have a job as an offensive coordinator calling plays, right? Like we saw the quarterback coach who was a quarterback coach for a single season, tight ends, quarterback coach, he goes offensive assistant, tight ends, quarterback coach, and he's got an OC job and Drew Petzing. Like Alex Van Pelt's a good quarterback coach. And that's, you know, people are acting like taking that role back is it's going to change it. He's been there. He's been doing that, right? That's that's what he's doing. That's what he's that's what he's been doing. So, um there's no change there. To your point, I did want somebody outside the the uh, organization. Now they they did get that person. Uh, unfortunately, that person is not 
labeled as a quarterback coach or bringing in the perspective of quarterback thought process. But Bill Musgrave, to your original question, is an outside voice, right? He's been around football a long time. I mean, he broke in with George Seifert. Uh, that tells you how long he's been around the game. Um, but I don't think people were expecting it, hoping for it. It's a tricky thing with these guys who come in as these uh, offensive assistant or, um, you know, special assistants or whatever the title is. And that's honestly what, you know, um, Jim Schwartz was doing in, in Tennessee, which is, again, sort of like people are drawing these parallels to, to what Tennessee is doing defensively to Schwartz. And it's like, how much credit are you, you giving him? Right. So I think the thing that is publicly, you know, as we publicly break this sort of thing down is what's he doing? And it's hard. It's hard to really put a precise answer to that which is it's a sucky answer for people listening but you don't know and like the only way you would ever know is if you asked uh kevin stefanski or alex van pelton they opened up on it because we don't just what does that entail it probably entails a lot of film study it probably entails a lot of uh providing experience um you know the experience that he has providing that to the team giving them kind of a uh, almost a a consultant role right where he's there to answer questions about things that he's done where he's been so on and so forth and yeah, Cal, uh, he he was in a pretty diverse gun offense, right? A lot of different gun run, three by one, 11 personnel stuff. And as we all continue to think, I, I, uh, most people do, I can't say we all, I think at least I didn't hear anybody else really clamoring for it back when I've been throwing this around, but y- y- the offense has to evolve. Like there's just no question about it. It's an offense that's driven by run theory and building off of run theory to build a passing game off of that. They can't play that way anymore. They have to run everything through the guy that they risked the entire stake of the franchise on and Deshaun Watson. And with that, putting him in the best position to win is probably predicated on a gun inside zone based offense with RPO wrinkles, things like that off of it. So you look at what Musgrave was doing at Cal, albeit Cal, not the best performing uh, offense in college football, uh, largely due to some talent gaps. I think we could all agree with, but like, the thought process is there. So I think Musgrave at least has some of the thought process stuff you would like. I don't know if it'll end up mattering. Uh, I don't know if we'll, we'll like watch Cal tape and see him doing some things at Cal that they end up implementing this year. But I don't think there's any doubt that as the offense evolves, it's going to involve more gun stuff and and they can do it right. Like I'm kind of writing up this article tonight about Nick Chubb and this, this you know, the goofiness that was this week and continued discussion. It's just the off season. People want to have conversations and this idea that Nick can't still thrive in, a, in an offense built around Deshaun Watson, that he can't find enough touches, can't do enough good things. You know, we kind of forget Nick is so gifted as an, as a single back under center offense running back that he was second in the NFL in shotgun running rushing yards in 2019 when they had him in the backfield more as a, as an offset gun, uh, running back, right? Like he can do it, right? It's it's not that he can't do it. It's just something he's really, really good at, special at. They're going to probably go a little bit away from to make the quarterback feel more comfortable, which they should. So to me, Musgrave, again, back to your original question. I don't know. He, he could help. He could probably do nothing. I, I, I genuinely don't have a great feel for what that role will do. Now, if we get some insight on it, I think that would be really cool. But you know, expecting to get insight on that is a little murky because teams don't always give away their thought process, but it doesn't hurt anything. As far as we know, it doesn't help anything. We probably all wanted somebody that we would have been a bit more excited about, but I'm sure Jack, Anthony, you guys would agree like who that would be at that point in the hiring process would probably be a young guy that nobody would really know. So uh, what's the shock value on that side of the ticket as well? It's, it's just, again, another voice, another perception. I'm not going to like 
lose sleep over it the way some people have about this is a terrible hire. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, if they think it'll help him, his experience and what he's been doing, where he's been and the things he's been providing at Cal, albeit not that successful. But again, I think you can explain that in a pretty rational way. Um, anything helps. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to run from the idea that, that Bill Musgrave can't provide some level of analysis to what they do that, that would be beneficial to him. You know what I mean? If, for you know, I, I think there seems to be, and I don't know how, how true it is, but it seems there's going to be quite a bit of pressure this year, you know, on the offense. And if they can't evolve, do you see, you know, changes being made after the season, if they can't get things going with the guy that they, like you said, um, pretty much bet the whole franchise on. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you went out and, and like really got to Sean Watson and you can't figure out how to use him, that that's really concerning. And I've been, pretty ardent Kevin Stefanski fan in terms of just the way he operates as a thinker, uh, a head coach and, and all of it. But I've been vocal now that if he cannot evolve this offense, and I think are very obvious directions that are working around the NFL and around a skill set of a quarterback that's very similar to some guys we're seeing have pretty, uh, pretty wild success doing these things. Like at that point I would be out. I mean, I, I don't see how Kevin Stefanski who's hiring, sustainability of a job is predicated on being a sharp offensive mind that can get the best out of his players. I don't really see the value then at that point, there would be no, there would be very little value to me at that point, other than to force an arranged offensive coordinator marriage to which you guys I'm sure would agree with me. It's not smart. doesn't work that often. And I would not want that. I think you would at that point move on and try to figure out something else. So if they fail to evolve in the ways I think are necessary to modernize, not only who they have, but building this thing around making Deshaun Watson as comfortable as as, as entirely possible, then, then yeah, I would start to do, if the winning isn't following that, I would start to do the, well, you got to look around thing. Cause that, that to me would be wildly unacceptable given all these plans that they were rumored to have when they went out and spent this money and their reputation on Deshaun and many other things. And, and, and you know, talking to Deshaun, sitting down and, being excited and going over plays on an iPad and stuff like that. If you can't figure this stuff out, I, I don't know what to tell you. So I, I, again, I, I think what I go back to is when Sh Deshaun debuted in Houston, they were doing a lot of stuff that I really liked a lot of things that Deshaun was doing in 2020 Houston. And I think that they saw where Deshaun wasn't quite comfortable in game form yet. And they saw that the team wasn't quite comfortable doing those things at the volume by which they were doing them. And they thought, well, let's just reel this in. We'll spend these final five games doing things that we're comfortable doing. The team has worked on all year and just go through these five games, treat them as a preseason pseudo preseason for Deshaun. Um, not that they weren't trying to win. Don't get me wrong. But they, if you go back and watch that 13 Texans game, uh, I don't know if it was week 13. I'm sorry for that. But the, the, the Texans game on the road when he debuted, they were running stuff like, like they ran, I think upwards of six RPO concepts, a lot of gun run. They ran multiple plus one reads for the quarterback and the, and the, the RPO stuff was unique. It was the stuff that I wrote about that read flat wheel stuff where you have three options and you're pulling based on the D end. And then you're kind of reading that second level defender. Those are pretty high layered RPOs that you usually see teams who are, who are densely committed to running those sorts of things doing, and to see them kind of whip those things out right away, I think that they had a meeting after the destruction that 
you guys know that the offense just looked really, really out of place and uncomfortable in that game. I'm sure you'd all agree with me. Uh, they, they said, hey, let's reel this thing back. Let's finish out the way we've prepared all year as if Jacoby is starting playing through Deshaun. We'll add in some little, you know, read option, zone option, and, and kind of dart different uh, upfront concepts, power option things, where they're still having him read, but it's very baseline. They didn't really run many more RPOs the rest of the, the rest of the season, if you go back and watch. But I think that they're building toward a future here that is going to be largely predicated in that and in, in, in a lot of gun life. And, and again, if they, but if they don't to your original question, Anthony, that's when you start to hear me have pretty vocal concerns about how this is going to work um, and maximize Deshaun Watson, because that's, that's really what it all comes down to. They can sign Javon Hargrave and Draymond Jones, you know, next week and go crazy and spend a ton of money. If they don't fix the quarterback and getting the most out of the quarterback. None of this matters. It doesn't matter. So that's priority number one. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they've invested so much into Deshaun Watson and, you know, Kevin Stefanski seems like a really smart guy. I mean, I it would baffle me if he can't make this work. Like, he seems like it's not he's, rocket science. It's, it's really not, not like this. This is something I've talked about with a lot of people like, well, they're like, well, all he has is background in Kubiak. Yeah, well, that's just a that's just something if you pay attention to his quotes, that's just a scheme that he really wanted to run when he started to develop the idea of running an offense way back in. Um, like 2011 he was watching Kubiak with the Texans and was into that style but he's been around football for multiple decades like he can't and Bill Callahan's taught offensive line play forever you're telling me they can't implement some of the stuff we're talking about here then hey man calling offense probably isn't for you so I I just uh I just have a hard time thinking they cannot figure that out uh, I, I I sit here would be really baffled by that it's not it's not again it's not like asking them to rewrite the wheel here. It's it's all out there and available for you. And you have one of the sharpest minds coaching up your guys up front. You have a wide receiver coach who's been there and doing things in the NFL in various different forms for a long time. You have one of the best running back coaches in the league. Like you can figure it out. Just you got to tie it all together and implement it, man. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think Stefanski could get it done. But like you said, if he can't, then it might be time to change things up again, unfortunately, in Cleveland. Um, you know, the combine just happened this past weekend as we you know changed the subject obviously it, jake when you were watching the combine i don't know how much you put any credence into that but watching that over the weekend was there anybody that you know just stood out to you that maybe you weren't giving like a serious glance to because obviously now at the obr you're doing the daily mocks uh taking over for stephen thomas our, our one of our dear friends um you know you're going through looking at these prospects did anybody really stand out to you that maybe you weren't taking a close look at, but now maybe you're going to after the combine, seeing how they test it out? Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. 
most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Yeah, there's there's a slew of them, man. I mean, like there's some freaky athletes here. And really what you should be doing in this is it is important. Finding out athleticism levels is, is very important to the process. And, um, you know, it, it matters. And I'm glad we developed a way to track this. And, and shout out to Kenley Platt, who does a great job at the relative athletic score, RAS stuff. Like it just puts everything into per- perspective really well is you you see you go through a slew of prospects when you, when you can leading up to the draft. And you usually are looking at production-based models, film-based models, and just kind of going off that. Then you figure out the athletic level of some of these guys and you reel back on some who aren't as athletic as you thought. And then you see some who are, and you're like, okay, so now we got to figure out what the tape says about these guys. Right? So guys that I'm going to go back and watch between now and the draft, uh, um, Zach Koontz is a kid, uh, a tight end older. He's going to be 24 before his first year, but he had a perfect RAS score. If you get a perfect 10 out of 10 all time at your position, six, eight, doing the crazy things he's doing athletically, you start to say, okay, is he worth a late round pick? So Zach Coons kid tight end old dominion started at Penn state, went to old dominion. You got to look at him. These are just guys I'm going to go back and watch Jack Campbell to Iowa who puts up a nine, nine, eight. I mean, that's the third best RAS score of a linebacker of all time. I mean, that, that matters, right? Like Jack Campbell's got great film. Do you go out and solve Mike linebacker with like a version of Luke Keekley here? Right. That's something you should consider. Uh, another kid, Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia, nine, nine, six, big body, six, four, uh, rangy off the, you cannot believe how well he tested. So I got to go back and watch him to get a feel for, uh, what the film says about him. Is he somebody that you could draft this year, start to downline replace when Donovan people's Jones goes after a big second contract, which he should, cause he's producing relatively well. Same for Jonathan Mingo, another big guy. Ole Miss keeps putting out these wide receivers. It's kind of bananas. Um, so John, uh, Jonathan Mingo, uh, again, big body ran really well. Uh, for the size four 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 forty jumped out of the out of the you know uh, out of this world for his size. Go back and watch a little bit more of him. John Gaines, this offensive guard from UCLA, a little older but a fun prospect. He tested as a nine nine five, so certainly going to go watch him. I'm just kind of going through some of the top guys that have caught my attention. Um, Yaya Diaby, this this Louisville defensive end. For some reason, Will McDonald gets all the love in the world as an older prospect. Diaby's also going to be twenty four, but he actually tested like. A freak of nature. So, and he's 270 instead of the 237 that is Will McDonald. Like that matters, right? So, I got to go watch more of him if you're talking about a late round dart throw. Uh, other guys at the top, like this Eastern Michigan guard. And again, his name, I haven't even heard of his name until he tested a 993 as a guard. Uh, SIDY, SIDY, City, City So, uh, SOW is his last name. Going to try to find some tape, Eastern Michigan tape. That's pretty esoteric group of tape. Going to try to find some of him. Um, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he moves so well, uh, Jalen Redmond, the best testing athletic defensive tackle out of Oklahoma as a guy I'm going to go back and spend some time on. 
And then probably the only other guy that I'm going to spend serious time on, um, you know, looking at guys again, those are your, what I'm kind of honing in is positions that matter, right? Cause that's, that's what we want to figure out if we can solve those positions that matter, because, you know, you're not going to spend a ton of time on positions that don't. So I would say, again, if you're looking at somebody who just, you never heard of them, right. Cause that's, that's kind of the angle for this. Cause most guys you got to feel for at this point, I think you'd have to look at uh, Luke Schoomaker, the or, uh, the Michigan tight end. I got to watch more of him, and I got to watch more of Corey Trice out of Purdue, who also tested really well. The cornerback class is freaky. Running back, tight end, and then defensive end. Those are your guys that are off the charts. But there's some some really important guys who haven't tested, and I think people forget that. You don't get everybody at the NFL Combine. Like B.J. Ojolari has to test a lot of things. The, the edge out of LSU, who's a fun prospect. Parker Washington, the – uh, wide receiver from Penn State, young guy who I'm very interested in. There are a lot of guys who just didn't give you enough to even put together a, a RAS score for them. So uh, those are guys that, again, like you got to wait and get all those answers. And the part that sucks about those is they just sort of trickle in over the next 40 days or so, and it's hard to keep track of them. But, um, yeah, those are just off the top of my head looking at some of the top scores that I really want to go back and take a peek at, you know. Uh, another guy I should probably mention is Daniel Scott, older player, free safety out of Cal, but tested so well, so well. And it's like, okay, he's older, but we need more athletic safeties. Is he a special teams? Could he get four good years out of that player if you take him and pick 142 or 190? You know what I mean? So, yeah, it just just to give you guys an idea, it to me, this is what I do. I, I'm, I could be on an island here, but I'm looking at these numbers and I'm going back and trying to evaluate now things that I missed, right? Because that's what you want to do. You want to take as many, and I think the Browns need to get better on this, is, is using more of their late round picks. They're very rigid on this stuff in the early rounds, but they start to really bend a lot in the later rounds. And to me, I'd rather take athletic projects in the later rounds. So I hope we see a little bit more of that. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I know you the, the theme you mentioned when you're naming these guys are like older guys, older guys. And I think that's the theme of this draft class because we have a lot of guys that, got that extra year because of COVID and everything. And, and I keep harping with your teammate, Jack Duffin daily. I'm like almost daily. I'm saying, Jack, they're going to take some older guys this year. And he goes, well, well, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. I'm like, Jack, I said, there's a lot of older guys this year. Like they're not going to be swinging on these 20 and 21 year olds. Like they've had the first couple of years. I think they're going to be, a, they're going to bend the guardrails. I think just a little bit more this year, just because this two to three year window they're in to where they really need to contend for the playoffs and hopefully a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I mean, listen, their first pick is 42 and I'm sure they'll trend as young as they can there within reason. Yeah. But then you're on pick 98. You're in day three almost. I mean, like you're at the very end of day two. And at that point, they just got to find players like they, they, like uh, too much has been shoveled into this for this year with with age guardrails. It's like, hey, man, at 98, 111, 126. I don't care how old these guys are. You need to find guys who can just contribute. So I think if a guy's old, Daniel Scott's a great example. Uh, if he's old, I don't really care so much. 24 to 24 years out of a guy picked 140, uh, 142, getting four good years out of that player is worthwhile to me, you know? So again, like look at Jesse Bates. He's about to hit free agency at 27, 28. I mean, the Bengals got really good years out of him and I'm sure that the Bengals don't prefer to lose him, but they have found ways to replace him through the draft over time. And the Browns will get back to normal drafts before you know it here. So um, 
I just you know, listen, it's overblown. It's overblown to me, especially when your first three picks are 42, 98, 111. I'm sure 42, they'll be as rigid as they can within reason. But after that, it's kind of all, all the uh, bets are off. I, I, if you're like, oh man, pick 98, it's our, actually our second pick here. We can't go over 22. And there's a really good 23 year old prospect there. Like that to me is, it's, it's downright fireable. Like that's, that's, that's the point where you start to make really poor decisions uh, in my book. So I, I just think that with where things are trending to your point, which is something I talked to Dane Brugler about, like this is an older draft in general, because the COVID year is eventually going to catch up. Uh, it's not an overall deep draft, like picks 20 to 90 are going to be in demand more 20 to 75. A lot of people see a lot of prospects at a similar sort of uh, situation there. So again, the age stuff to me is less important than ever uh, this year. And, and, and largely due to because of where the Browns are just, just where they're picking and, and, and like forcing that rigidity would be uh, sort of asinine to me there. It would really li- like limit the scope of quality players you think you can take. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned like the 20 to 75 range and, and that makes me think, and I'm doing it more on the mock drafts. I'm trading back from 42 and more so on the side that, you look at next year and and this year, we only have two top 100 picks in each of the next two drafts. And I just feel like we need to get, if we can get more in terms of top 100 picks to get some quality impact guys in the next couple drafts, I think the Browns have to jump on that. And they've shown that they've done that. Um, so I think trading back is very much in the cards again, even though a lot of the fan base won't be happy with it. I think, you can, if you can get some more picks and get some more impact ready to go guys, I think you have to do that. And I think Barry has shown he will do that. They should, uh, unless you're in love with somebody like Ojolari falls into your lap at 42. I just, there are some prospects at 42 that I would be really hard pressed to move off of. For sure. Um, not a ton, but, but enough that I would be hard to come off of some of those guys. So uh, I'm with you. And I've kind of highlighted three teams. I think that are, that are interesting in those spots. Denver has 66 and 67, something along those lines, back-to-backs. If they want to come up and take 42 for those two picks and maybe giving them back 190 or 142, something along those lines uh, on top of it, that's a good trade because you would then have three top 100 picks instead of two, right? Um, That's a spot. Cowboys have a couple picks in there. I think they're like 58 and uh, 90 or something like that. And then the Eagles also have, I believe, like 62 and 94 or something like that. So those are teams with, multiple picks inside that 42 to 98 range where you can gain more top 100. So uh, again, it's, it's sort of a limited group there, but you can get something along those lines, but I do think their, their ears are going to be listening to all every and all phone calls. Again, unless somebody just falls to their lap, that is of interest. I had somebody ask a pretty good question today about would they be due to the structure and nature of some of these contracts they have coming and going, would they be interested in moving up into the back end of the first round to get that fifth year of control. And I thought that was a really interesting framing of, of where they're at. And I, I guess like if they loved somebody say Nolan Smith somehow, because of the weight, maybe falls it's, he's there at 30 or 31. Could you move up? Because you're like, man, we would love to get that fifth year controlled cost on a defensive end. We love. And at that point you would, you would save a little bit. Right. But it just it's hard to see with only six picks next year and that wide gap between 42 and 98 just the the uh eagerness to do that so it's it's a, it's certainly always possible we saw the move up for JOK a couple slots and going from 42 to 31 or 32 isn't the biggest jump in the world right but 
it's just they're such collectors. They're they're gatherers, right? I don't the Browns aren't always hunters on draft day. I feel like they're more gatherers. So uh, I I lean toward a trade back as well. Yeah, for sure. And then last question, gonna before we get on out of here, uh, it's it's about free agency because obviously we're closing in on legal tampering day on Monday. Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com dropped an article right before we started recording, mentioned Jesse Bates, Javon Hargrave. Draymond Jones, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, which hasn't been a name linked to the Browns. And I'm trying then um Yannick Nagankwe, which I mean, this is all defensive guys, Jake, that we know. Browns need to upgrade that defensive line. They're being linked to safeties after they, you know, they obviously let John Johnson go. Who's your ideal free agent targets for the Browns? Like, is there any of those names that have been mentioned, or is there other guys in mind that you would just love to see? Uh, on the Browns offense or defense? Well, I mean, no disrespect to anybody doing this. If you circle all the top names on the free agency board, then you're <laughs> probably going to be right. I, again, I don't mean to sound mean there, but like, no, it's I just the it. top names. Like, it's just, you know, I'm sure the Browns are going to go after as many top names as they can. They're going to call. Doesn't mean they're going to meet demands for some of these cats. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've been pretty vocal about it. I, I the, the improving of defensive tackle is imperative. It is a position that they are so below NFL standard right now that I have been vocal about how I don't love any of these defensive tackles at 42 necessarily, and I certainly don't like pigeonholing second-round defensive tackles in as starters. So I I've, I just think you need to raise the basement of that room and the, and, the, and the elevation of that to the rest of your defensive line will just be it'll, – it'll help more than people even remotely understand. And it trickles into your linebackers so on and so forth. So to me, I'm, I'm chasing guys who have inside out flexibility, right? Like I like some of these D tackles are very fun, right? There's, there's guys like, um, Deo Adenabo, um, uh, sorry, apologies. Uh, David Onyemata is who I'm thinking of uh, the saints. I, I think he's got some positional flex. I, I really like his tape. Uh, if you're going cheap, like I would be looking for two defensive tackles. I, I listen, I like Javon Hargrave. I think he's fun, but he's 30. He's going to be chasing 18 million a year to 20 million a year. You want to pay that when you could go get two of those guys and a good defensive end. So if you could go get like a Puna Ford type at, at say five million, four and a half, five million to play, um, you know, to play as your shade, your inside, uh, then go get somebody like Sheldon Rankins or Onyemata, who I just mentioned, possibly to be your your three tech and then go get a defensive end uh, to, to support that, get that position on the, on the right path, such as somebody like Arden key, who I posted today, who has inside out rush flexibility can do things from a bunch of different spots would be a really great rotational player with Alex, Wright To grow that position again, like Schwartz loves big body defensive ends who can do inside out stuff, right? They, they want that. Like Demarcus Walker is another guy under the radar, uh, is in Tennessee last year could could eventually come over to Cleveland at a, at a really good price point. So I'm looking at I'm looking at more. Like I I'm I'm not looking at big names. I'm looking at more. So those are the guys who stand out to me. I like having those players that can do inside out stuff. So Arden Key stands out. I would love him. Charles Aminihu. I, I don't know where the legal situation sits with him. He had that playoff issue there in San Francisco. But if he is, you know, if everything's good there and cleared, and he's able to go, like he was an unbelievable inside out player that you could get on a pretty good contract. So another one that you're looking at on top of those defensive uh, tackles I mentioned, then if you, if you move back to safety, I mean, of course you, you would, you would love to have Jesse Bates, but the contract has a potential with some of these 
higher cap teams to be a bit bananas here. So, you know, I, I mentioned a month or two ago that like I would just love to have Juan Thornhill over that. And Juan Thornhill's name's kind of caught a lot of smoke now lately. Yeah. And I actually think Juan Thornhill's name's going to be it's going to be pretty popular. He's going to get some offers. Now he'd be the high end of that. You're probably looking at 10 million or so uh, as just a guess for me, but a good player. I like him. I liked him coming out of Virginia. Very athletic talking about those, those, uh, those scores we're talking about with RAS scores. Like he's just a, he's a very good athlete, but there's also some different answers, right? Julian love converted corner to safety for the giants is out there. Going to hit the market. Marcus Epps kid from, um, you shouldn't call him a kid, a young man from uh, Philadelphia out there on the market. I think you're also going to, see some interest in the Browns uh, potentially, potentially if they want to go real cheap there, but a guy who's got free safety experiences, Deron Harmon mm-hmm. uh, as, as one of them as well. So there's a lot, I don't have like people want to do wish list stuff. I don't really have a way. There's just, there's a lot of ways to cut this up and cut it open. Like I, I, I think I, the thing I like to do, and this is the same kind of for my draft thing. Like I don't, I don't do big. You have to take this. I like, I'll tell you players I like, but I'm not going to sit here and say, Hey man, you'd be, you'd be so dumb to go out and get Yannick and Gakwe over, um, Marcus Davenport or something like that. I just, that's just not the way my brain operates. I want to know why, like if you could tell me why, what the justification is, I'm usually a pretty understanding person, but like for the most part, I don't have like wishless plays. I guess if I had to pick one and you pigeonhole me, like I just really think Arden key has found his way in the NFL and he's an extremely good inside out a line type player that would help the Browns a ton. But then there's also the element of stuff that we don't know, like Arden key LSU, uh, San Francisco over to Jackson. Does he want to go north? You know, like I, I don't know if he wants to go north to play football. So there's some of those elements that you can't even can't even control. But there's so many good options. The thing I'll leave you with this is what they need is another wide receiver of some form or fashion in the draft or whatever. They need an edge, probably two if you include one in the draft. And then obviously we talked about defense tackles here. And it's just a good, it's a good alignment here of draft and free agency to get the types that they need. And I really do firmly believe. This defense is night and day different if they can get three to four different people. And again, this is not hard to see them uh, attain this to get three or four different guys. They can play on their defensive line that are just just really NFL caliber players like like a, like a version of Sheldon Rankins, a version of Puna Ford, um, you know, or Ashawn Robinson. And then give me an edge that can play inside out versatility, be a strong side guy, fit the fit the, you know, uh, force guy on on the outside and and then go from there, man. And there's just. There's a lot of good options. The Browns have been kind of neglecting that role, right? The, the role I'm talking about is the veteran basement lifter types, like the Andrew Billings type, which they just didn't get to do it because Andrew Billings came off of COVID without actually doing anything for a calendar year, I think. Um, it's ironic because he, he put together a pretty good year last year. But like that's the thing they've kind of been neglecting because they've been trying to build young and get reps and depth for their young guys. They've been trying, but you're in a different state of affairs right now. And you should be doing everything you can to get more of the Onyemata types, the Arden Keys, those mid-level guys who end up being a part of rotational groups to help your defense and lift it a level. So, um, listen, they're not far off. If they have a really good run at this thing to start with with multiple players, I think you should be really excited about how they can turn this thing around defensively. And then if they make some of those changes we've talked about on offense with a lot of the core already in place – it's not hard to see them going from a team that missed the playoffs by a game or two to being a team that's in the playoffs and then anything can happen. So it's um, again, not as far off as people think it is. Uh, and, and I, and I think there's a lot of ways to cut this thing up that ends up working out. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, you hit it right there. I think they're not far off. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they attack free agency when it opens on Monday. I'm with you. I think if they spread the money out, 
and they can bring in multiple guys to make an impact. I think the defense will be heading in the right direction under Schwartz's leadership for sure. No doubt. I mean, Jim just brings a level. I mean, there's already that, right? And I, I talked about that last offseason of, uh, if you it, not last offseason, but in the season when things started to go haywire defensively, like you could, you could change one of them, right? You could change uh, Joe Woods and not touch the personnel, and this defense wouldn't be any good, right? You could also keep Joe Woods, not change the personnel, or, and change the personnel, and I didn't think it would be good. I didn't think it would solve itself. They have to do both. They, they've already done one. They've changed Jim Schwartz. Now they have to improve the personnel. And with the things I think Schwartz brings here, uh, which is, again, a, a lot of simplification of coverage and doing things that tie in better with what they're doing up front and the idea of how they attack the quarterback from a pass rush perspective, that it, it can really turn around here quicker than people think. And guys that you're on the fence about, the JOKs, the Greg Newsoms, you know, don't, you know, people that still don't love Grant Elpit, like those are going to be guys that if the Browns win eight, nine, or sorry, they win those nine, 10, 11 games, we think they can. Those are, then they turn into Pro Bowl invites. And I think that there's enough talent here to, to see those things come to fruition. Excellent stuff, Jake. Always appreciate your time, man. Love your work over at the OBR. If you guys haven't checked it out and if you're living under a rock, please go check out Jake's stuff, including his daily mocks. Uh, he took the torch that uh, Stephen Thomas left, and he's doing a great job with that, as well as the rest of the crew at the OBR. Uh, Jake, so thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate you. Hey, listen, anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Big fan of yours as well. As for us, you guys can follow us on Twitter at JackMcCurry08 at Anthony Jokey and at the Dogland. Uh, be sure to subscribe to Dogs by Nature to not only check out us, but the Dogs table as well. Until next time, Browns fans, as always, go Browns. This episode was supported by Reddit for Business. You want the right attention for your business, but you don't know where to get it. It should be a place where people actually take the time to engage with your ads. Why not try Reddit? They seem to have the whole engagement thing down pat. With over 100,000 communities, Reddit users are some of the most active online. Meet your potential customers where they feel most at home, with 90% of users trusting Reddit to learn about new products and brands. Just go to redditforbusiness.com slash vox to learn more.